0: Morning, everybody. Happy Hump Day. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And I can tell it's going to be a really great day, so I've literally just poked myself in the eye. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist, Darren Lewis. Morning, Darren.
1: Morning. Morning. How are
0: you? Uh, It's one of those Wednesdays. Um, now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcasts will just have to ask to address the UN on the bitterest and most rancorous, rancid thoughts at the back of your head, just like the Home Secretary did yesterday. Um, so what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on that speech, Wella brathman gave to the UN, calling it poisonous. More on that in a bit. But first, I want to take us to pages six and seven where relatives of those who died in the early stages of the COVID pandemic have issued proceedings in the High Court to sue the health secretary, care homes and hospital trusts over their failure to protect the most basic human right of all, the right to life. Now, Darren, can you take us through this? What, what exactly are they suing about?
1: Uh, well, um, they are suing because the they the claim that the state didn't provide uh, the safety Uh, remember Matt Hancock talked about throwing a protective ring around care homes and that quite clearly wasn't done there are 30 families that are um, making this claim through the law firm Lee Day and what they're saying is that And and listen the headline on the page says everything um, that they are going to fight for justice Um, they as we know, he talked about that ring, and then it turned out that Care Home residents had anything but. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of brings it all back: Boris Johnson, te- you know, telling the country not to worry at the time, wash their hands for as long as it takes to sing "Happy Birthday," and uh, lockdown, and, and Dominic Cummings breaking that lockdown to drive to Barnard Castle, and of course Partygate, as we all know. Um, There are two case studies on the page uh, that we uh, have set the whole story out on. Uh, One of a couple, Elsie and Frederick Bethel, they died within 16 days of each other in March uh, 2020 um, and April, mid-April 2020. Um, And also Elizabeth Smith, who was 86, uh, she went to a hospital outpatient appointment and ended up losing her life as well. And it, within the copy on the page as well, there is the tale of Maureen Nottage. Uh, this uh, initial hearing today um, starts uh, two days after what would have been her um, birthday, her 90th birthday, as she died in a care home as well. So mm-hmm. just to, to set it out, uh, the legal claims have been issued in the High Court against the Health Secretary. The care homes and the hospital trusts. As I said before, it's an initial hearing. Uh, the High Court proceedings are going to start properly next March, and the previous High Court judgment said there were uh, many deaths uh, due to uh, taking account, uh, due to not to take an account of the growing appreciation that asymptomatic transmission was a real possibility. Um mm. well,
0: that's the I, thing. I felt- we had people sorry, being sort of uh, flying into the country. We knew there was a pandemic coming, right? The Chinese were locking down. Uh, mm. We knew that it was actually, and there were still people flying in. They weren't being tested. Uh, there was a brief period of quarantine, but then that sort of ended. They weren't being tested at the airports, and then we had this situation where people were in care homes. Their families and loved ones couldn't see them, but the care home workers were having to go between care homes. And we're helping to see the virus that way, but because Matt Hancock said hospitals need to clear out all their patients and to free up space, they were going into care homes and, of course, taking the virus with them as well. So one way or another, care homes just got seeded with the virus, and these people are basically accusing the state of failing to protect the right to life. Now, what do you think, everybody? Do you think this is? um reasonable to think it's the right thing for them to be doing uh, the argument really is that by stopping the testing by allowing the virus to get into care homes by getting people infected in hospitals before they got uh, had any covid isolation wards even um that they're you know that was denying people the right to life in effect so we've got the stories there of elizabeth she only went to hospital to have a cannula fitted came out with covid for goodness sake and then died after some falls at home Uh, And then Elsie and Frederick, uh, who lived together in a care home and seemed to have caught the disease there. Unless we forget, we should point out, Darren, despite their age, they could have had years left to live. And these were not good deaths. They could all have lived a long time longer. And COVID, particularly in care homes where there's limited medical help available... Their deaths were simply horrific, the reports that were coming out about how people were dying in care homes, people drowning on dry land, basically, with very limited pain relief. Darren, I suppose from the government's point of view, you know, there's an inquiry, why do we need a court case too?
1: Uh, well, I think as far as the families are concerned, they want justice, it's very simple. They want to have the law of the land rule over this because I think, in, and many people are of the same opinion, that some of the decision making was indeed criminal. Um, and there was a degree of negligence in the opinion of the families that should be addressed by the law of the land. So I can understand absolutely why so many people are upset. I can understand absolutely why so many people feel, do you know what, let's take this to court. Let's have it all out. Let's make sure that we Uh, And they, uh, those politicians who have sidled off into the sunset, some of them doing reality TV shows and on the dinner circuit, they are actually held to account by the law of the land rather than to an inquiry that doesn't necessarily, uh, yes, it can establish the facts, but what then happens afterwards, an apology from the politicians, not enough.
0: No, exactly. I think that's probably part of the problem here. So, what do you think, everybody? Do you think if there's a court case, that's going to do more than a public inquiry? Or do you think the public inquiry that we are all spending money on, you know, that should really be enough? Philip says Hancock is a disgrace. He should be charged with manslaughter as so he knew the consequences of his actions. Um, it is very difficult for us not to have been health secretaries to sit there and say what someone did is wrong. And obviously, we've all got the benefit of hindsight now. Although, I think at the time, a lot of people did say, stop testing. What? That's a bad idea. It's a bit like turning the radar off because there's too many Luftwaffe overhead. No, don't do that. Um, But one of the things, I suppose, where they're going for this court case, Darren, is that the the public inquiry is about finding answers and learning lessons and all these things and maybe a bit of ritual humiliation of people who have to give evidence. But although this isn't a criminal case, it's a civil claim, isn't it, in the High Court? And therefore, if you can find care homes hospital trusts or the health secretary themselves that that position um culpable in some way then there's going to have to be reparations there's going to be a financial cost to that if they were to lose the case and that's probably the only frank i mean we all know this is how it works that's the only way to really get proper change is if you make it financially too expensive not to change that's that's how you force big institutions to do things differently. And we absolutely. are all going to get that again quite soon, aren't we, we here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I use that word justice. Um, and I still do want to use the word justice because, obviously, as you say, uh, as ever, you, you kind of cut through the euphemism, if you like. Um, but uh, I, I still use that word justice because it is ensuring that at some level there is still... Um, a way, a a right of recourse, if you like, for those families who have felt aggrieved, who had been gaslit into believing that the government were doing the right thing at the time when quite clearly they were not. And if it comes in the form of financial reparation, then, then Fine, that's as it should be. If it comes in the form of something that, at some level, makes their lives better, then that's as it should be. But as yeah. we all know, the lives of the people bereaved during the COVID crisis will never be the same again because they've lost people. Because they, those people, many of whom I mentioned, Maureen Nottage. You know, she didn't want to die alone, and as her uh, relatives were saying, she was forced to die alone. And Mm. so, yeah, I I do use the word justice because that is the least that the bereaved families are entitled to. And I think that that financial reparation and the fact that in a court of law, the individuals who should be held to account will be. I think that is everything to those families.
0: Yeah. I mean, checking an apology doesn't uh, alter anything that's happened in the past, of course, but it can make a big difference to what happens in the future which is kind of the way you make your loved one's death count for something is to say that this will fix what's what's going to come next. Now, they will have had to crowdfund. It's not a cheap option. Uh, Plenty of these inquiries of not holding people to account in the right way. Very quickly, before we move on to the main story of the day, Darren, do you think it should lead, of course, to Matt Hancock being in the witness box to explain that protective <laughs> ring that nobody ever saw? Um, do you think he'll ever admit that it just didn't exist?
1: No, uh, I don't think he will. Um He's been on TV, he has done his books, and he's framed his own side of the story in the way that he wanted to. Um, and all of it seems to absolve him of any blame. Um, and so I don't really see envisage a, a set of circumstances where he will suddenly um, put his hands up and say, I got it wrong. Um, yeah,
0: I can think I, of quite I, a few I, politicians, you know, in the past, not really in the current batch, who would say, do you know what, I was in charge, whatever went wrong, it's on my watch, I didn't know about it, I didn't do it on purpose, I yeah, wasn't personally involved, but I take responsibility because it was my department. And that doesn't seem to be happening these days. Uh, Fee says, or FY says, Hancock thought it was a game he was playing, the guy should be in jail. Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? I dare say there'll be things that come out of the court case that may well perhaps cause create some evidence that may lead to the police investigating things. We'll have to see how it all pans out. Now, on to the big story that's driving the day today. Yesterday, Home Secretary Suella Braverman gave a speech at the UN that was roundly denounced as ignorant, racist, xenophobic, horror, all the words, basically, She said that the United Nations Convention on Refugees needed ripping up and starting again because it has got to the point where the system is being gained by people with no right to refugee status and who are claiming asylum based on merely being discriminated against as opposed to persecuted uh, for being gay or being a woman. And most people who are refugees simply aren't. Uh, Some of them might be, she said, but just not. Darren, does she have any good factual basis to say any of that? Can you, can you bear to speak?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just articulated my thought process. And my the mind. Listeners on uh, podcast,
0: Darren has just got his head in his hands and has been shaking it slowly.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I listen, I'm smiling. It's ironic um, mm. smiling because I, I'm kind of proud, you know, Susie of our Daily Mirror's front page today because sometimes, just like, like yourself, we need to cut through the nonsense, I'll call it, And see what's say as it is, Mm. and the rhetoric is poisonous. It's no different from the kind of rhetoric that has become Suella Braverman's trademark over a sustained period of time. We've had the culture secretary Lucy Fraser doing the rounds on TV trying to back Braverman up, but everybody sees this that speech yesterday in America in the febrile. Mm. Territory of America, knee deep in obviously campaigning um, for the White House, um, where Donald Trump has still a huge supporter base um, with the politics of division. Um, and I tweeted about Braverman last night. She's even more dangerous uh, because she's weaponizing her background in an attempt to divide us. She's from a Kenyan Mauritian background. She's in a government led by uh, someone whose family came from India. And she's stoking up the fear and the hatred of Enoch Powell from the 60s and the 70s. And people be- mistakenly believe it because she she can't be misrepresenting the truth. Look at her heritage. And that's mm-hmm. what makes her even more dangerous than the likes of Enoch Powell. And, you know, we haven't even got to uh, the the... the the kind of thing that gay people will face as a result of what she has said yesterday. It's poisonous, it's dangerous, it's pandering to the far right ideology that a lot of people grew up with and recognize having to watch their backs because of. And I think our front page today really does stand out in a sea of people kind of sitting on the sidelines or ignoring it altogether. I look at some of the other media, Outlets they've not really given it or called it what it is, but it is poisonous. It is trying to divide us. And I hope it does not succeed.
0: Yeah. Now it's it's of course people from ethnic minorities are as capable of being racist as anybody else, as much as they mm. are capable of not being racist as anybody else. Um, but you know, they're not in a minority in every country just because they may be in a minority in this country. Uh, and there is certainly lots of sort of interracial racism as well. It's just a, a horrible species human being sometimes Paul says Braverman is just positioning herself for a stab at the Tory party leadership appealing to the boggle eyed Tory right wing Paul you're very prescient I'm getting to that point in a minute go away I don't want to talk about it yet you're interfering with my script um now what do you think, everybody? Do you think bradman has got a point? Do you think that people are gaming the refugee system? Do you think that it is something we need to think about and talk about again? Because the world has changed since 1952, when that Convention on Human Rights was written. Philip says, such a foul person as Bradman should never represent Britain. Her views reflect the right-wing extremist attitudes in the Tory party, not the electorate of the UK. We're going to get to that point later as well, honestly. Uh, now, it's not great to be discriminated against, of course, for any reason. But in this country... Whatever our experience of discrimination uh, in any way, it's tempered, whoever you are and whatever the discrimination might be, by the rule of law, by democracy, by the fact that you do have the right to kick up a fuss. But try being a woman in Afghanistan, Isabella Bravman. Try being gay and in Saudi Arabia. Try being of the wrong religion across pretty much most of the planet, actually. You would all want to leave. It would seem far worse than the discrimination you know the mere discrimination if you were locked up for 10 years because of who you loved if you were denied education because of your genitals or if you were sent to re-education camps because of what you had faith in you know discrimination is persecution on most of the planet it just it, it isn't always necessarily the same kind of persecution in this country isn't quite the same and i suppose that's darren where some will say is actually aiming at this sort of the socially conservative with a small c uh people in this country, a majority, frankly, who feel perhaps their kindness is being taken advantage of by those whose you know gayness or beliefs or gender. It doesn't seem so bad, really, from our perspective. We think, well, you we want to come here because you're gay. Well, that's just that's just silly. You know, it's not, it's not it's, you're not gonna get killed because you're a woman. You don't you don't have to do that. Because our experience in this country is that. That doesn't
1: lead to 10-year jail sentences. Do you know what what, what Swell is trying to do? And, and I, I mentioned Enoch Powell a bit earlier. And uh, to me, everything about her playbook screams Enoch Powell because what she's trying to do is suggest that people should be afraid of what they're going to lose, of what people coming into this country are going to do, how it's going to impact on them. And there are lots of people who get swept away by this mistaken belief that people come to this country and they are handed stuff on a silver platter and they come mm-hmm. here because of that. And there are so many untrue narratives that have been allowed to ferment because of Suella Braveman's rhetoric. and. If you look at the the, the numbers, for example, we take fewer refugees, uh, sorry, people, I'm gonna call them people, we take fewer people than France, than Germany, than Turkey. Turkey hosts 3.6 million people, right? Migrants, Uh, the largest population in the world, 3.6 million. Do you know what's next, who's next? Iran. Uh, Three point mm. four, and you know, you talk about those repressive countries, oppressive countries, Afghanistan, Iran, Syria—places, as you rightly say, where all of those different demographics, whether you're gay, whether you're a woman, whether there are issues in all of those countries. She knows all of this. She knows all of this, but she and she trying,
0: also she also knows for that, it. for example, if someone is fleeing Afghanistan. Uh, whether you're a woman, whether you're a child, whether you're a young man who doesn't want to be fighting for the Taliban, whatever it might be, Um, the reason you're fleeing Afghanistan is because Britain ran away from Afghanistan, along with the Americans and the coalition, and left them to it. Um, And so, therefore, a lot of what we have in terms of a refugee crisis or problem, I don't really want to call it a crisis, it's just people moving about and trying to be alive, Um, it's because of what we have not done. As opposed to, you know, and the massive pool attraction of getting 13 quid a week and living in a bed which exactly. frankly, no one going to move across the world to do. Um, it's it's the fact that we have interfered with or destroyed or just ignored other countries and their problems. We could try and fix those problems elsewhere, it could help. We could offer advice and expertise, we could give aid, but that's all being cut too. Um, and so she does know that this stuff is. It's partly on us and it's on, it's on, it's
1: our responsibility, doesn't she? Yeah, listen, and, and you're right to talk about that background as well because you, you, you think about what we have not done. You also think about what we have done as well over many hundreds of years. You know, the other countries that we've gone into with impunity and plundered and left in a state of chaos and, and, and disarray and the, 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 our foreign policy for years of arrogance and I think a lot about the the context within which she is trying to use language of invasion and stoke fear and all of the things that you just mentioned are so important for people to understand. do you know what, I remember when when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister and, and, and I wrote a column saying that it wasn't a triumph for diversity because real diversity is about fairness, it's about making life better for other people, uh, not this, not the kind of, I don't even want to call it a debate because really this should get what the Daily Mirror has given it today, condemnation. This isn't uh-huh. a debate. The issue of being of whether we want to help people live as you would rightly say uh, rather than oh my goodness should we be afraid of them are they going to come and, and and steal us I grew up Susie we were around that bloody black people they're going to come here and take our jobs mm. and take our will I grew up with that and four decades nearly five decades later I'm still hearing it and I'm hearing yeah. it from somebody who's weaponizing a her heritage to do it. It's it's and not God, her God. Zunac, Kwasi Kwate, Kemi Baden, all of them in different ways, different, different rapping, same message. It's all the politics of hate, and I don't believe in this society that we live in right now. That we should be attacking people who don't look like us. We should be all in it together against a government that's left this country in ashes after 13 years they've got nothing left so they try to turn us against each other
0: yeah now i think um it's it is what one of the um some of our earlier uh commenters were saying here really it's part of a a rather naked bid for suella to have the tory leadership position herself for that because it is shortly going to be vacant isn't it doesn't matter what happens here um i think professor john curtis was saying um elsewhere this morning that it, the immigration issue isn't why the tories are in trouble although it's not helping but they could they could you know start rewriting the un convention on human rights they could even get some international support for it it's not going to save them they're not going to be re-electable on this basis but what this had done, this speech yesterday, is to get Suella on the front pages. It's got us some approving leaders in the Times and the Telegraph. It's even got a glowing write-up in the New York Post, saying, "Well, thank goodness someone has said what no one else will say," um, and that you know there is a good reason for all this. Of course, I mean this is rather Suella's sort of rather obvious bid to be positioning herself as you know the red-blooded, have some raw meat people kind of candidate for the next uh for the for the base really candidate for the next leadership race
1: yeah uh it's a very naked attempt and she was asked about that um mm. yesterday in america and she didn't deny it she she listen simona braverman has always been so nakedly transparent it's embarrassing she has a craven lust for power and she will do and say anything to get it and throw anybody and everybody under the bus to get it there was nothing.
0: Well, to I her Bella about her. Once. And well, <laughs> she, she struck me as just really dim. Yes. Just really, you. really dim. I don't know that she's got a craven lust for power quite, as why I interrupted you. Because I don't think she's got the wit to have a craven <laughs> lust for power. I think she's a void and people put things in and she doesn't kind of compute it and then they just come out again.
1: You see, I, I, I actually think that the, the craven lust for power comes in realizing that after Boris Johnson, you don't really need to have that much about you. Boris Johnson, remember, who famously did interviews about issues on which he had no idea what he was talking about. He was asked, have you read the brief? No, I haven't read it. You you don't necessarily have to be particularly cerebral to lead this country. We've had Dominic Raab in positions of seniority within the Tory high command. um, (laughs) Dominic Raab! Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're talking about a very, very, very low bar. So, yeah. Suella Braveman, as you say, she she doesn't strike me as particularly uh, cerebral. She just knows what buttons to press in the culture war to get people afraid, and the politics of fear have been a trademark of Tory uh, governments over many decades, and and, and they've come back. And, and you're right, you know. This country isn't broken because of multiculturalism. It's, it's it's failing because of 13 years where everything that the government has touched has turned to ashes. Our health system, our rail system, our education system. The government they've gained the system, and and Simon wants to preside over a over a government uh, and, and presumably become prime minister uh, of a country suffering from crises for which she has zero answers. and, and a, bit that's like
0: <laughs> a, a bit like a few others I can think of. Um, so we've got, what do you think, everybody? Is there anybody out there who agrees with Suella and that what she said the other day seems reasonable, yesterday seems reasonable? Because when she was asked, you know, with her background, was this really the right thing for her to be saying? She, although, you know uh darren and others have talked about their experience of racism growing up in the past few decades suella who is roughly the same age um said she didn't really have any racism growing up but she feels racism now because she's told how to think because of the color of her skin that she must kind of agree with a sort of a general um happy with migration idea because of the color of her skin and she objects to that and should she i mean maybe that that maybe that is fair i don't know but um no, it's the fact that I think, perhaps, like you said, Darren, that this, the diversity in our government is only skin deep, and actually underneath, they're wealthy, well-to-do people who've never really experienced the lows of being in an ethnic minority, being more impoverished, finding it hard to get jobs, finding it hard to be well-educated, and therefore they haven't had quite the same experience as many others might have done. But while many people might think this is just right-wing politics, right? It isn't actually. Winston Churchill wrote the United Nations Convention on Refugees, helped to write it, and he was about as Tory as they get, genuinely, right? Broke the arms of suffragettes when he was Home Secretary, or ordered his police to, I should say. But this has split the Tory party right down the middle. There's left and right wings here. Darren, I suppose there's a risk, isn't there, that if Suella becomes leader after Sunak, that she will basically be left with a, a rump of a party that's going to get decimated at the ballot box anyway. But she's really got to appeal to a very hard right part of it, which is basically as one of our comments of saying, earlier, it's unelectable. The maths just isn't there for that kind of politics to appeal to a broad enough base to, to make it an electable party, which kind of turns her in, in a way into like the anti-Jeremy Corbyn. You know, Corbyn in a blue skirt, just at the other end of the spectrum, uh, uh, presiding over an unelectable extremist view of the world, which isn't going to, just isn't going to gel with the rest of the country. Although it does get people talking about the things that extreme wants to talk about. We did with Corbyn, didn't it? It
1: it does. It does get people talking about it, and, and it gets people buying into uh, the kind of um, fear that she intends to stoke. Um, And I I think she sees that there's merit in playing to that hard right element of the Tory party. Sunak did, if you remember the speech that Sunak gave, um, where he joked about his tan. And I I, I remember at the time thinking, what, what am I watching here? Um, but he knows that there is a supporter base that are stuck in a time warp and oh. she knows that too and she knows that th- th- for her it is an effective strategy to play to that base, but I think as far as, I'm, I certainly you know, I, I look at the response there has been from ordinary right minded people to the kind of thing that she said yesterday and there is still mercifully uh Great, there are still great swathes of people who see this for what it is, and Mm. I certainly think, as far as Suella is concerned, you're right. If she were to assume power, it would be over a Tory party split, a Tory party, um, a Tory party which is, is largely discredited, it's falling apart. We saw Alex Sharma become the latest, uh. Individual to decide that he's had enough and he's going to ride off into the sunset. Uh, And and I just think, as far as she is concerned, I I want to be able to say in a few years' time she's going to be in irrelevance. But my fear, you know, is that the damage that she will have done by the time she exits stage left will be incalculable.
0: Yes, that's part of the thing isn't it i suppose you know corbyn got people talking about more radical politics on the left she gets people talking about more radical policies on the right there's a whole other um ballpark going on there leslie says i want to ask i hear this a lot that we take in fewer people than other countries but can we make that as a reasonable comparison when some of those countries are bigger and have more space to house people our infrastructure isn't coping currently we have sold off all our housing haven't we the social housing? Which I can I can remember about twenty years ago. That was the row that social all the asylum seekers were in social housing. I can't get a house kind of thing. We've sold it all off, so now they have to go yeah. in hotels. And we're Thank not. You. Really and our do own you know hotel. what,
1: Susie, I'm so glad you said that because I think that 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 right there is 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 a snapshot of the issue. The failings of the government uh, are being remodeled to suggest that it's uh, not their fault that we have that Mm. kind of issue but it's the fault of the migrants and just to point out the numbers that I was mentioning about we take in fewer migrants you hear this and hear that they don't come from me it's from the UNHCR global trends report from last year Uh, there are statistics that lay bare the fact that we take fewer people than as I was saying before France than Germany than Poland than Turkey and I think it is important for people to understand the truth that there are all sorts of myths that the, the likes of Braverman peddled, so that people who only take a passing interest in the story, but maybe don't look at the beef, read you know the, the detail, they'll go away and believe as she was uh, as has been mooted that uh, there are might- people coming here uh, determined to get a free house, a free flat, free this, free that get everything paid for and it's a myth
0: well here's a fact for you okay leslie um turkey takes in 3.6 million we've had got 175,000 asylum seekers in this country at the moment that is 4.8 percent of what turkey has which means they have 95.2 percent more than we do. Um, And they do not have like, you know, more space, more money. Turkey is poorer per head than we are. And although it's a much bigger country, a lot of it is mountains. And they can't just go and park an asylum seeker on a mountain and say, that'll do. You know, um, And it's also worth remembering that many of our public services are staffed and operated and kept on the road by migrant workforces and populations and second-generation migrants and so on, because um, w- without them, we wouldn't have even the infrastructure we do have. And if the infrastructure is buggered, look at the buggers who've done it. That's what I say. Anyway, thank you for that, Jason. Thank you for discussing, everybody. We need to move on now quickly, because there is some good news in the world. Here it is. That's- we had a bit of a gremlin in the system there this morning we nearly sort of stopped the show Uh, but no here is some good news so a young lad called teddy lixon i think he's only a few years old uh he's only three or four can't remember there four that's it um and he needed he's got neuroblastoma which is a cancer of the nervous system particularly vicious and nasty kind of disease his family needed to raise 300 grand for life-saving treatment in new york they've already got to 200k of the friendly strangers on the internet and he's off for treatment now to stop because they've got two thirds of the fundraising i suppose dan we've got like a big human rights theme today haven't we we've got um the human right to life in the covid story we've got the the rights to live free of persecution in the refugee story is this proof do you think that you know the right to life is something most normal people just think everybody has even a four-year-old little boy
1: absolutely yes absolutely yes and it, it is a reminder that for all, um, or, you know, we wake up and in many respects we're privileged to have our health. We're privileged to have the things that some of the some things we take for granted. And here we have uh, a four year old boy. Uh, what is it? It's He's diagnosed with neuroblastoma last July. Uh, the cancer taken over 60% of his bone marrow. They've hit two thirds of their target. They launched a 300000 pounds appeal in February um, to, to raise money for a vaccine in New York. Um, and, and you're right, you know, it, it it is a reminder that for many people in this country, um, because sometimes we talk about international politics, and we do sometimes forget that right here in this country there are people going through hardship, and it is important to remember those and uh, this appeal absolutely worthwhile I, i'm glad that we are giving it the coverage that we are i certainly will be contributing it to it as well
0: yeah it's fantastic well done everyone who contributed to teddy's crowdfunder and if you've got a little bit of cash it's nearly payday maybe you're getting paid on friday please will you just google nuclear veterans and bloody truth they well done, my- on that well Thank you. The nuclear veterans are taking their own case to the High Court, all right, for to sue the Ministry of Defence for medical tests that were taken from them in the 1950s and have been withheld from them ever since. For that to happen, they have to get to court. They have to have a High Court trial. They need somewhere between 50 and 100 grand to get to court. Um, and that's the lawyers doing it at cost. So please, 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 if you've got five, ten quid, if you've got time, share it with everyone in your email contacts book. We need as many people as possible to donate to that and help them get justice. And it's the kind of thing which stops. If we can get the answer to that, it fixes lots of other cover ups, too. All right. So if they can do it to these guys, medical records, you can be damn sure they would do it to yours. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Darren, for taking us through all of that. Uh, and we will see you all again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda Explains. Till then, everybody. Daddy, bye.